Thank you, Rachel. Take your Bibles, if you would, with me. And you can turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles here this morning. I always miss when our college students are away, and I'm always glad when they're home. So, Rachel, thank you for singing and ministering. Rihanna, I saw you jump back in the choir today. Appreciate that very much. And uh, you all are an encouragement, each one of you. And uh, I love you. We got you for a few more weeks at least. I told Cindy I don't, don't really want to leave to go away for vacation. All the college students back, you know, I hate to be away when they're here. But uh, we did go away. Uh, I should, for, for your information, you should know that Kaylee and Nate Hollis um, had their baby boy this past week. And uh, Carter Nathan Hollis was born this past week, 8 pounds, 13 ounces. And, uh, and he's a handsome little fella. Looks healthy as a horse. So uh, mom was doing well, and Nathan's trying to help. He has that confused new father look on his face. <laughs> I still have that look on my face from time to time. So I don't know if that goes away. But, uh, but praise God for that healthy baby boy. And uh, be praying for the Hollis, Hollises as they uh, adjust. A couple of weeks ago, I told him, uh, you know, because Kaylee had that look like, you know, I just wish this baby would come. And I said, you guys need to go out every night. Go out and have fun. Sit down and just listen to nothing. <laughs> Quiet. Because for, for the foreseeable future, that is all going to go away. So, uh, and, uh, but I, they still, they, you know, I said that, and I thought, they're not getting what I'm saying. <laughs> but, uh, no, they're thrilled, and uh, we're thrilled to, uh, we're thrilled for them. So uh, any kind of notes or words of encouragement would be appreciated. We had a great time out in Pennsylvania. Uh, Cindy and I got away a couple of days, or not a couple of days, a couple of hours and a couple of different days. And one particular day, I was shopping for a sport coat, and Pennsylvania uh, clothes are tax-free. So when it says 1995, that's what you pay. You know, that's just, I don't know, I like that. And uh, anyhow, so I found a sport coat, and, and Cindy had to come, you know, and approve it, you know. And, and she came, and the guy, you know, he was a nice fellow, about his mid-50s. And uh, he was really polite, and, and he asked if we had met on... Uh, where we had met and where we were from. I said, I'm from Michigan. And he's from Pennsylvania. He said, where did you meet? I said, we met in Florida. He said, oh, on spring break? No. And I said, does anything last from spring break? No. We wouldn't be together here if it were that. And, uh, and uh, he said, oh, good, you know. And, and then he said, after he rung us up and he handed me the jacket, and he said, well, have a great new year. And he said, I foresee in your future... A baby girl. And both Cindy and I were standing there like, what? We already have four, you know. Now, we'd be thankful, okay, if we had another one. But there might be some tears shed, and it probably would be me. (laughs) What was it? A couple years ago, some lady told me I was balding in Pennsylvania. Why do we go there? Anyway, we had a great time. It's good to be back to Michigan, though, and with you. 
Next week, there will be some new banners that will be put up, and uh, on those banners, there's a, there's a theme. And the theme is, it's a big one, it's growing, loving, serving. And, uh, you know, any one of those words could have been the theme by themselves, you know, growing together in the Word of God, or loving God um, and others, or uh, serving, serving one another in love. Any one of those could have been a theme all by themselves. A couple of years ago, if you'll take your bulletin and look there with me, a couple of years ago, we uh, wrote down on the bulletin, and it's been there, and it just kind of summarizes our desire at Trinity Baptist Church. I don't know if you've ever read it, and sometimes when things are there for a while, you know, we just start, uh, we don't even look at it anymore. We don't even read it anymore. You might notice that growing, loving, serving, those three words show up on our sign out front. Uh, growing, loving, serving. What is that all about? What does it mean? Um, I would say growing, loving, serving, and we'll talk a little bit about today, this morning, and then uh, I'll probably preach a couple messages in the first uh, four, week, four months or so of the year on the idea of growing in the Word of God, growing in the grace of God, uh, growing in our knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and then the second uh, or the middle part of the year, those the four months in the middle, I might preach some messages on loving God and, and others, what that means. Um, you know, loving God and others is a theme that's found from cover to cover in the Word of God, Old and New Testament. It's God's will. In fact, the Ten Commandments, the first four of the commandments are horizontal. Um, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, it, it, thou shalt make any, unto thyself any graven image. It's my relationship with God. It's all about love God. And then the, the last six of the Ten Commandments are, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. It's horizontal. It's our, how we interact with people. And, and, that, and what God's point is, is love others. Love your neighbor. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then the last uh, four months of the year, we'll, we'll look at, and we'll talk from the Word of God on the matter of serving. Serving one another. And the verse that you see in our bulletin is in love. Uh, look there with me, if you would, just at our bulletin, growing. It says, we desire to experience consistent spiritual growth as we receive God's word. Second Peter 3.18 exhorts us, and I give just a portion of it here, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Loving. We are determined to love the Lord supremely and our neighbors as ourselves. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus calls us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Serving. We delight in the joy we experience as individuals, as families, and as a church when we daily serve one another. Galatians 5, 13 instructs us, by love, serve one another. You know, I would say that those three words, growing, loving, serving, might um, summarize my heart's desire for Trinity Baptist Church. You know, next year in 2017, God willing, we might have another theme. But this year, this theme is a little bit different. It's more foundational, probably, than the other themes we might have in the years to come. Growing, loving, serving. Um, if someone at 
your place of work, or maybe a relative, were to ask you about Trinity Baptist Church, what would your response be? How would you describe us as a church? Would you start with, well, we own a corner piece of property, we're in Flushing, maybe that's where you'd start. Our, our auditorium is this color or shaped this way. Uh, we run a certain number of people. Where, where would you start in describing Trinity Baptist Church? Maybe they'd ask the question, uh, something like this, what's your church all about? How would you answer that? What's Trinity Baptist Church all about? What's important? What's at the heart of Trinity Baptist Church? Um, I mean, you, we could, you could describe ministries. You could describe your pastor. You could describe his preaching style. You could describe your Sunday school. But, but, what, but, but those are all kind of other things. What's at the heart? What, what is Trinity Baptist Church all about? Maybe they'd ask the question uh, something like, what's going on at your church? What's going on there? What do you guys do? What are you doing? Uh, and you might think, what, what do we do? <laughs> what, what are we doing? What, what, what are we after? Where are we going? What's the, what do we, what, I, I don't know. And, uh, and the theme this year, I think, summarizes it. How's your church helping the community? Someone might ask you, or how's your church helping society? You know, there's such a thing as, and by the way, a church ought to uh, be a help to the community. And by the way, when believers follow the Lord and his word, they're they're a help to the community. It's called being salt and light. Uh, You're in the community. Phil McBride's a police officer. You know, uh, I don't think Will's here today, but he's in law enforcement as well, and we have a another as well that works with law enforcement. Some of you work, maybe not in law enforcement, but we have a couple of public school teachers, Beth Motsky and, and Michelle Perry, who work in the Flushing School District. And then we have some Christian school teachers that work for Genesee Christian, and, and their ministry is there, and they labor there, and, and they're laboring in the community. Others maybe are in a shop, or, or maybe you're retired, but you're in that uh, neighborhood, and and, and you're a part. We're a part of the community, okay? We can't get away from that, and we shouldn't try to. Um, but there are other things. This past uh, December, I think it was, the choir sang at the uh, candle walk, and, and the people came in, and, and the choir provided music, and it was wonderful, uplifting, God-honoring music there at the candle walk. It was great to be a part of that. But sometimes people say, but what are you doing? I mean, uh, are you... Uh, are you helping the homeless? Are you providing, making sure that every child in Genesee County has a gift for Christmas? Um, what are you doing? You know, I was reading something the other day, and uh, it's, it's a testimony of a lady in, I think, upstate New York who received the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And she talks about her life before she was saved and her perspective on life. And, uh, and she's going to use a couple of words like morality. She believed in morality. She believed in justice. She believed in compassion before she was saved. She wanted to change the world. In fact, I'll read it, part of her testimony in just a moment is by way of introduction. 
but she talks about how she's involved with golden retriever rescues. Okay? Nothing wrong with that, but she's part of the Unitarian Universalist Church. She's a professor at a university, uh, an English professor, and she's a lesbian. And, and she, believes, she, she believes she's moral, and she believes in morality. Sometimes when we talk about what a church is, or what's, what are you all about as a church, what are you all about as a person, uh, even a lost person will have goals to be an effect on the community. And this morning, I want to get back to, and really throughout this year, uh, what should be our perspective? Why, not just why do we exist as a church, but what are we about? What should we be about? What should, be, what should you and I be committed to as believers? Let me read part of her testimony. It's wonderful. She, she titles it, My Trainwreck Conversion. And she starts it this way. As a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then I somehow... Became one. I'm going to read just a portion of it. It's by, by Rosaria Butterfield. That's her name. The Lord Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. As a professor of English and women's studies on the track to becoming a tenured radical, I cared about morality, justice, and compassion. Fervent for the worldviews of Freud, Hegel, and Marx and Darwin, I strove to stand with the disempowered. I valued morality. After my tenure book was published, I used my post to advance the understandable allegiances of a leftist lesbian professor. My life was happy, meaningful, and full. My partner and I shared many vital interests, such as AIDS activism, children's health, and literacy, Golden Retriever Rescue, and our Unitarian Universalist Church, to name a few. So here we have an individual, and only by way of illustration do I bring this up, but uh, we have an individual who is certainly at this point, by her own testimony, not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but she has all kinds of causes. And my point is this, everybody has a cause. Everybody has something that they value. And even an individual who Romans chapter 1 would describe for us as someone who is very, very far away from God and in need of his mercy and salvation, this dear lady needed to be born again. But she has a cause. She's part of a church, a church of some sort. And uh, she's got all these causes. She's busy. She, by her own words, says she believes in compassion, morality, and justice. Wow. You know, there are many people, and you, and you know them, and I know them as well, and some of them are born again, and some of them are not saved, and they might ask us about Trinity Baptist Church, about our church, about our religion and from their perspective, and they may say something like, what is your church all about? What, what are you doing? She would have asked that question. What are you doing? 
And I believe our theme this year captures what God wants us to be about. It's not that he doesn't want us to be interested in um, uh, uh, being a part of the Flint Crisis Pregnancy Services as believers, to try to rescue babies and, and try to bring, uh, bring mommies who are not saved to a saving knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that he doesn't want us, as we did this year, to give some food away to some people who don't have a lot during the Christmas season. Those are good things. Those are things that are wonderful to be a part of. But at the heart, what is at the heart of Trinity Baptist Church? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I want to read something else to you as we think about this, because on the one hand, we have this individual that I just read. And by the way, I won't read the rest of it. It's a long testimony that she gives. But it's just a wonderful testimony how that, um, that, that woman who was so staunch and so content where she was, she's introduced to a pastor and his wife, and uh, they begin to give her the gospel, and she receives the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's married today, biblically, and uh, is following the Lord. It's wonder, really a wonderful testimony. Um, so we have some who are lost who, who might say, what's Trinity all about? And you could say, well... We're about growing in the word of God. We're about loving God supremely and others like ourselves. And we're about serving one another as believers. And that's going to be foreign to them, right? They're not going to get that. They're going to say, what? there's got to be more. I mean, what are you doing to actually help people? Well, there are things that might flow out of those things, but that's at the core of what we're about. But there, there's another uh, element or another way of thinking as well that's out there. And they may, it may come from believers. They may ask you, somebody, a friend, maybe from some, another church, uh, um, and they say, what's going on at Trinity? I mean, and I got a phone call this morning when I came in in my office, and, and, and there's a, a youth rally taking place. And it's not something that we necessarily can be a part of, but it's a youth rally taking place, and they want it to be a big event, and it's going to be big. And, uh, but they're doing some things that would not allow us to be a part of it. Um, and I want to read to you an article I came across, at least part of it the other day, that I thought was thought-provoking. When we think about what, what, uh, what Trinity's all about, listen to what he says. I believe his name was uh, Kingston who wrote it. He calls it the heresy of worshiptainment. He says, the great heresy of the church today is that we think we're in the entertainment business. I want you to think with me now. A.W. Tozer believed this to be true back in the 50s and 60s. Church members, he wrote, want to be entertained while they're edified. How many of you like to be entertained? Oh, come on now. Okay, let me, when, we, when I go to Detroit Tigers game, I'm going to be entertained, all right? Um, hunting, that's providing for my family. So that, that's not entertaining. Okay, all right, well, well, sorry, my ADD moment there, my mind wandered. But we all, we, how many of you like watching a movie or a show or... Hogan's Heroes or something like that. All right. So Tozer says they want to be entertained while they're edified. So I want the word of God, but I want you to entertain me while you give it to me. 
That's, that's what he's talking about. He said that back in 1962. Tozer grieved even then that it was scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction was God. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. I, I need to do something to get people to come. Uh, most recently, a man by the name of David Platt has asked, what if we take away the cool music and the cushioned chairs? What if the screens are gone and the stage is no longer decorated? What if the air conditioning is turned off and the comforts are removed? Would his word still be enough, Platt asks, for his people to come together? In the early church, they gathered in catacombs. They gathered at risk to themselves and their families. They gathered at the risk of maybe a neighbor seeing them going out and reporting them to the Romans. I think that family next door to me are Christians. And then the Roman soldiers would come in, knock on the door. Do you believe in, in the Christ? Does your family believe in the Christ? And the father would have, a, have to respond, yes or no. If he responded, yes, we believe in the Christ. We, we worship the Christ and only the Christ. The Roman soldiers would then bring them under some sort of a trial, and they would be given the opportunity to recant their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, declare their allegiance and faith to the emperor. And if they didn't do it, the soldier might say something like, if you don't do this, I'm going to take your wife and your children and put them to death. Or I'm going to take you and put you to death. And whole families were led into coliseums and tied to posts or put inside of a burlap sack and covered with animals' blood. And then they would release the wild beasts to come in and feast upon the believers. Some of them were killed and, and mounted on uh, posts and covered with pitch and lit on fire to light the way into the emperor's gardens. Believers. In our day, and it's not new to today, 2016, this has been going on for quite a while. Tozer talks about it, and, and David Platt, who isn't necessarily where we are as a church, is surmising, and they're saying, is there anybody out there who is just interested, more interested in worshiping God than they are themselves. Would it be enough if we didn't have air conditioning? I remember preaching at a church out in, I think it was in Pennsylvania or New England, and uh, the church had no air conditioning, and they had these hard wooden pews, wooden backs, wooden bottoms. And, and the pastor had said, take off your jacket, Seth. It's just too hot. It was like uh, over 100 degrees and uh, outside that day. And I don't know what it was in this building. And, uh, and I'm sitting there in the front row without my jacket on and a white shirt and my tie, you know. And, and, uh, and he introduces me. And up I come. I go to, step, to stand up to leave the, the uh, wooden pew. And the varnish, it was so hot, the varnish had kind of gotten... Uh, sticky enough, so when I stood up, it went, you know. I thought, I, I'm not sure what's on my back, but here I go. You know, I mean, it was hot. 
and we're there. We don't, we don't have a building like that. I mean, every once in a while, our heater, our air conditioning is doing something funny, but, but normally we, we, we have... Would it be enough, just the word of God? Tozer got it right. He says this, heresy of method may be as deadly as heresy of message. Well, I'm giving the word of God, but I'm, I'm working a human earthly angle to get you to come hear the word of God. And Tozer, he questions, I think, heresy of method may be just as damaging as heresy of message. Like Tozer, he writes, we should be concerned that so many people in our churches want to be entertained while they worship. Ask yourself that question. Is that your, do you need that? Listen, there's such a thing as maturity and growing up. We have a children's church for a reason. Part of it's so you can concentrate as parents and you can get a little bit of a break. Okay. Um, and part of it's because we want to deliver the word of God to them in a, in, a, in, a, in a way, in a conciseness where they're at. So there is such a thing as that. But how about us as adults? How about us as, as, as some teenagers here? How about us as college students? We should be concerned that so many people in our churches want to be entertained while they worship. We should be concerned when we no longer recognize the difference between the two. And we should be concerned by the growing belief that adding more entertainment value to worship is necessary for the church to accomplish its mission. He writes, I may stand alone, but it grieves me when I see worship services characterized more by props and performances and a pep rally atmosphere than by any other sense of divine sacredness and hallowedness giving away to shallowness. He asked, who or what is the spotlight really on? It ought to be on God. If it's on anybody else or anything else, it's not worship. If the spotlight shines brighter on human performance than on the gospel of Christ, it's not worship. If anyone other than Jesus is receiving our adulation and applause, it's not God we're worshiping. He asks the second question, what message are we communicating? The message of the church, the message of the world, that the world needs to hear from us is not, come and have a good time. I can join a motorcycle club and do that. Or go hunting and do that, right? Go out with the guys and hunt. Sure, I can now go out there and have a good time. I mean, no, this is about God. It's about his word. Come and entertain or come and find your best life now. That's not the message. The message is this is who God is. Follow him wherever he leads. This is his word. This is what he says. Not these are the three steps to having a happy life today of ease and plush comfort. That's not the message. Tozer said, Christ calls men to carry a cross. We call them to come and have fun in his name. The message of the church is the message of the cross. And lest we forget, cross, Jesus' cross was a source of entertainment only for those who stood at, its, at the foot of the cross and mocked him. Those are the only people who were entertained that day. He asked the question, and I'll be done with this, but how are lives changed? Some people might say they're changed by our methods of attracting and winning them. Tozer addresses that sentiment. He says, winning them to what? To true discipleship? To, to cross-carrying? To self-denial? To separation from the world? 
to crucifixion of the flesh, to holy living? Is that what we're winning them to? To nobility of character, to a despising of the world's treasure? To hard self-discipline, to love for God, to total commitment to Christ? What are we winning people to? I will say, and, and he concludes with this, people are hungry. They're hungry for a diet of substance, not candy. More of the word. Deeper into the word. Less of what Tozer called religious toys and trifles. You know, as a pastor, I am faced with a challenge every week. And that is to rightly divide the word of God, to find out what is the message of the text that I'm studying. And then knowing the church that I pastor, how can I communicate the truth of the word of God? How can I rightly divide the word of God and preach it in such a way that you can understand it, understand the message? Because I can mess up the message. You understand that? I can miscommunicate it. I can go too deep. I can go too shallow and we can miss the message. And so it's a challenge on a weekly basis. And, uh, and, and as we now get to these three thoughts, growing, loving, serving this morning, very briefly, what is, what is Trinity Baptist Church all about? What's my heart for Trinity Baptist Church? Things are going to come and go. Um, you and I are going to get older. New people are going to come. What's Trinity Baptist Church all about? Growing, loving, and serving. All, one, all three of those words are, are stated in such a way that it should be a continual process. They never stop. Growing. First of all, notice with me in 2 Peter chapter 3. You're there. 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 12. He says this in verse 12. I'll begin there. And we're just going to look at just one little verse, verse 18, the beginning part. Verse 12, he says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. He's talking about um, after the millennial reign of Christ and what's going to happen in the future. This is serious, okay? You might have gathered Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to, the, to his promise, look for a new heaven, for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, be diligent, because this is coming in the future, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. How, how will you be found? Verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our God is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Well, we see a lot of that in the Bible, things that are hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, the word rest means to twist, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. So there are people twisting the word of God, deceiving. They're using the word of God, but they're twisting the message. And Peter's saying, be careful of this. Listen, there are some things in the future that are they're extreme. Uh, the heavens and the earth being destroyed and a new heaven and a new heavens and a new earth being made. These are important things. He's talking about the 
end times. He's talking about standing before the Lord and being found faithful before him. And so he's saying in that context, you remember Paul, he's written things to you. And some people have taken those things and they've twisted them and they've brought confusion. They've kept you from what you need to be. Verse number 17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You have something to lose here. Not your salvation, but you have something to lose. And that brings us to verse 18, where he says, but instead of, of, of being deceived by those who twist Scripture, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just very quickly, a couple thoughts about that. Grow. Don't be like those who are easily deceived, who just kind of follow anything that's being taught by anybody, but know the word of God. And he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Really what he's saying is grow in the word of God. Trinity Baptist Church, what are you, what are you all about? I want every one of us in this room this morning to be about as long as we have this life knowing that we're going to stand before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ someday in the future at his appointed time in the life that I have whether that be 37 years or whether that be 75 years or more I want my life to be about growing in the word of God this is foundational I get that I want to be about growing in the word of God. That's what Peter's saying here. And as the Holy Spirit draws this message to its conclusion in 2 Peter chapter 3, he informs the believers of the coming of the Lord and how they can be ready for Christ's coming. You can be ready by growing. Some of us have been saved for a lot, a lot of years. I've been saved for 31 years of my life. I, I've been to Bible college. I've taken a lot of tests and a lot of quizzes, memorized a lot of verses. But you know what? I, as your pastor, need to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to keep growing in the word of God. There, there are some here, and I like, see the Baholsky family here, and Braden and, and Rianne sitting next to each other, both graduates of Genesee Christian, taking a lot of Bible verse exams and Bible tests. And, 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 and we've got others here. The Maori boys are here, and they've come up. Through Trinity Baptist Church, I can remember Logan and Landon when they were little munchkins, you know, and some of you can remember me when I was a little guy, you know, and uh, we, we've grown up hearing a lot of messages, but you know what, now, whether we've grown up in church or whether you're newly saved just recently over the past few months, all of us need to keep growing in the Word of God. That's what's at the core of Trinity Baptist Church, growing in the Word of God. Growing in the Word of God. If I were to ask you the question, as we think back to last year, now we're just starting 2016, and some of you might be here this morning on a New Year's resolution. Maybe your resolution was, I'm going to go to church more in 2016. Maybe that was you. You know, you came to Sunday school this morning because, not because it's habit or because it's a discipline, because no, you and your husband said, we want to take our kids to Sunday school. And and so you came this morning. That's great. Um. As we look back to 2015, though, if I were to ask you this question, in what areas of your life did you grow spiritually last year? What, what, what would be something that you said? Could you name one thing or two, or maybe ten? Because God 
in 2015 was actively working in your life to grow you spiritually. He was. And in 2016, he wants to grow you spiritually as well. And the main way that God goes about growing us spiritually is by his word and by his Holy Spirit in us, teaching us his word, helping us to understand it. That's part of the reason God gave us pastors, to teach the word of God to us. To help us, to come alongside someday and say, hey, you know, I've been noticing this and I'm concerned for you and your family. To, To help, to help shepherd To help say, hey, beware of this cliff over here. You say, but I like that. I like being near the edge. It's exciting. I enjoy that kind of entertainment. No, no, beware of the cliff. Don't go near the edge. But the word of God, what areas of your life have you grown and did you grow in 2015? Some of you could say, you know what, I grew in my prayer life. 2014, I didn't pray like I did in 2015. I grew in my prayer life. Others might say, I grew in my patience. Or, or I, grew in, I grew in understanding of the word of God. What, what ways of your life could you say that you grew? Maybe you grew in the area of forgiveness. You know, forgive has the word give in it. Giving something that isn't deserved forgiveness. I grew in the area of forgiveness. You know, the reality is if you could name one thing or 20 things in areas of your life in which you grew in 2015... The only way that was accomplished in your life, that spiritual growth, was by the grace of God. It was by God's unmerited favor, giving to you and giving to me what we didn't deserve. Uh, Titus, and we will not take time to turn there, but in Titus chapter 2, Paul writes to Titus, and the Holy Spirit of God reveals to us really what grace accomplishes in our lives. And it talks about how grace teaches us, it instructs us uh, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, the grace of God actually instructs us. And then it talks about how it gives us hope that Jesus Christ is coming back someday. You know, sometimes in our lives we face such hardness that sometimes we start to lose hope. The grace of God actually gives hope. Are you growing in the grace of God? As I was thinking about this, idea of growing in the word of God and specifically in our text here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, growing in grace, growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of our Savior. I thought about the idea of growing in grace and I thought, you know, I can't grow in grace if I'm rejecting what grace is trying to accomplish. If I'm rejecting grace saying, don't do that. Or when grace says, don't watch that, don't go there, deny ungodliness, deny worldly lust, but I feel like it. And grace says, don't do it. Deny it. If I'm rejecting the message of grace, I'm not growing in grace. Are you growing in grace? Grow in grace. Grow in the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. I was saved in 1984, the year the Detroit Tigers won the pennant. Five years of age, and I knew a little bit about Jesus that year. I knew that he died for me on the cross. I had some knowledge about him. And I received him as my personal savior. But I'm so thankful that my knowledge of Jesus Christ isn't the same today as it was in 1984. There's been some growth. Okay, I'm 36 now. I'm a pastor of a church. But you know what? I need to continue to grow in my knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a quick example of this. Over the past month and a half or so of my life, one of the things that I've learned more about Jesus Christ in my life about is depending upon him to have victory 
not, I, we all agree and we all understand that I needed to, to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save me from death and hell. I had to, I had to receive him as my personal savior to save me from death and hell. Yes, we all agree with that. But some of us, and I even think in my own life, I had kind of bought into the idea, you know, God is responsible for my salvation. I had to receive that free gift of salvation that he offered to me. And, and he saved me from death and hell. And now it's kind of up to me to be the daddy I need to be, be the husband I need to be, be the pastor I need to be, be sanctified. That's my responsibility. And... Uh, One of the things the Lord's been revealing through the word of God and by his spirit in my life is, Seth, you need to wait upon the Lord. Seth, you need to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Seth, you couldn't save yourself from death and hell, and you cannot cannot deliver yourself from the sin of this world. You can't be the daddy that God wants you to be. You can't be the pastor that God wants you to be. You can't be the husband God wants you to be. Seth, you need to depend upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish these things in your life. Specifically, one thing over the past month that God really worked in my heart about regarding the Lord Jesus Christ was in in 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh and God's response to Paul when Paul says, please take it away. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And there have been times in my life over the past few years where I've really, and, and other times too before that, where I've really kind of thought in my mind that God's grace isn't sufficient for what I'm going through. What I'm up against is uh, what God has provided with me, we, me, with me with, what God has given me for the battle that I'm facing isn't sufficient for the battle. God, you need to give me more uh, for what I'm facing than what you've given to me. And so there have been times in my life where I've been praying, God, would you please give me the grace that I need to face what I'm facing? And you know what, I was reve- what revealed, God revealed to me over the, uh, the last couple of weeks was? And, and I don't know why I didn't see it before. You've probably known this all along. But God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. It is. My point is simply this. I need to keep growing in the grace of God and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do too. We need to grow in the word of God. Secondly, we need to, we need to be committed to loving God and others. Look with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and verse number 37. Here we find that uh, Jesus is, it's during his earthly ministry, the, the Sadducees have tried to trip him up and embarrass him in front of the people. And now the Pharisees attempt to do the very same thing. Uh, look with me in Matthew chapter 22. I'll begin reading in verse number 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. Well, let's go to verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. The idea of, his, uh, of tempting is maliciously or craftily. They try to tempt him, trip him up in saying, verse 36, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What's Trinity Baptist Church all about? Well, we're all about growing in the word of God. We haven't arrived. I've been saved for 31 years. I haven't arrived. I'm all about growing in the word of God. I need more of God's word to be what God wants. Secondly, what were we all about? We're all about being committed to loving God and loving others. That's what we're all about. Now, that'll, that'll work its way out in different ways, but we'll never be committed to loving God and others unless we're committed to growing in the word of God. Remember, love is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I can't just create love. No, love is of God, the Bible says. God is love. Christ told his disciples, without me, ye can do nothing. And certainly that would have included, you can't love the way God loves without God producing it in you and working it through your life. So as I receive the word of God, as I grow in the word of God and continue to grow in it, it produces a love, the right kind of love, a love for God and a love for others. And the Pharisees here now, they send forth, they send forth, put forth one of their, their lawyers to tempt him, to trip him up. And the lawyers of the, in the Jewish culture of that day were experts in the law of Moses, and they were usually Pharisees or Sadducees. The Pharisees held that there were 613 commandments in the law, 613, um, which happens to be the number of letters in the Decalogue. They said that there were 248 positive commands in the law, which were the number of parts in the human body. They claimed there were 365 negative commands in the law, which was the number of the days in the solar year, totaling 613 laws. Not sure how they got to all that, but 613 laws. And so they come to Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and teacher, and there's all these people around, and they send forth kind of their, their Goliath, so to speak, the guy who they think can trip Jesus up. And he asks the question, uh, which of the laws is the greatest? Which of the, and he's thinking, which of the 613 of them is the, is the most important? Now, this basically was the equivalent of asking somebody the question, um, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Yes or no? Now, I say that on purpose. Because if you say yes, then you beat her at some point. If you say no, then you haven't stopped. I mean, it's just a, it's kind of a catch. And that's what they've done here. Which of the laws is the most important? Because it's going to be a very uh, arrogant on, from their perspective if Jesus names one of them and puts one of them over all the others. And Jesus quotes from the Decalogue. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus, and he quotes to them, and he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And by the way, as I said before, this starts at the beginning in Deuteronomy, and it's being carried out throughout the entirety of the word of God. God wants us to love him. And I already talked a little bit about the Ten Commandments. In the first four, it's, it's uh, vertical. It's our relationship with God. And he says, uh, 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 Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what God is really after in those first four commandments and really throughout the word of God is God wants us to love him. You know, there's so many things in our lives that we care about and there are in mine too. There are things in my life that I care about. There are things that I enjoy so much. But God wants me to love him more than anything. 
And then the other six were about, you know, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's uh, donkey or thy neighbor's wife, or thou shalt not uh, steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, and those are in relation to people. And what God is really communicating in the law throughout the entire word of God is love other people, love your neighbor. He makes it more personal to his disciples. In John 13, 34, where he says uh, uh, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. And the question that I have for you and for, for me today is, do you, love, do you love fellow believers the way that Jesus Christ loves you? That's not easy, is it? We've talked about love a little while ago, about a month ago or so. We took a little time to delve into it a little bit. But you know what my heart is for us as a church? You know what I believe God's will is for us as a church? When someone says, hey, what's going on at Trinity Baptist Church? And you say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm continuing to grow in, in, in the word of God. In God's grace, we're growing as a church. We're growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know him better today than I used to. And, 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 and loving, our church is so loving our church, we love God. We're, we're striving to love God. We don't always love him like we ought to, but we're striving to love God more than anything, anything else this world has to offer. Remember what John said in 1 John chapter 2. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For he that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can't love the world and we can't love God the Father at the same time. We just can't. And you know what? I'm 36-year-old. I'm a 36-year-old father, a 36-year-old man, a 36-year-old pastor, a husband. And you know what? There are things in my flesh that I desire or my flesh would desire. But you know what? I'm not going to follow those things. I don't want to follow those things. I want to love God. And I want us as a church to love him. Growing, loving, and then serving. Turn with me one last time to Galatians chapter 5 and we'll be done. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I want us to be committed to growing in the word of God, be committed to loving God and others, and lastly, be committed to serving one another in love. Galatians chapter 5. Paul's talking to the church at Galatia about some disputings and frustrations that people have with one another. And in verse number 13, he, he comes to this thought. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... That's liberty over sin and the destruction of it. Then he says this, Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You don't have to live under the law anymore. The Pharisees and Sadducees aren't running around here in the United States uh, making sure we've kept the 613 laws or so they've found. He says, so you've, you've been given liberty. But don't use it for the flesh. Don't make decisions in your life because I can when they're wrong. Don't use your liberty for flesh living. He says, but instead, use your liberty to serve one another in love. Serve. I I thought about this, this idea of service. 
When I go to Sorrento's and I sit down, the server always comes and she always, first of all, uh, I'm going to skip the greeting and things like that, but the first thing that she does is she tries to establish what I need. And it comes in the form of what would you like today? Would you like this? Would you like this? She finds out what I need. And then she brings me what I need. Now, now that's just an illustration. They can only go so far. But we are in love to serve one another. Mr. Good, what do you need? Now, now, now forgive me here a little bit because it's not about what do I want? What do you want, Mr. Swick? And Todd, what do you want? And what do you want? That's, that's, not, that's where that illustration would fall off. But it's what do you need? How do I know what Mr. Good needs? The Word of God. How do I know what Bob Ashley needs? How do I know what Jay needs? How do I know? Well, the Word of God. And so, as a believer, I know there, there are many things. Uh, not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I know it's good to come together as a church. I know it's important for me to be here. I know there are discouragements that you and I face, and so I know that a word of encouragement, the Bible talks about that being an encouragement, speaking the truth in love, you need that. I need that. Iron sharpens iron. We need that. I, I know you need that, and I need that. And so this idea of serving, Jesus Christ was a supreme example of this, and Philippians chapter 2 talks about this, uh, he, uh, where uh, And Paul says, let this mind, let the mind of Christ be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Paul says, let that way of thinking be your way of thinking. And over and over again in the Bible, we're told to serve one another. And we're to do it in love. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul said, But as touching brotherly love, he need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. I love that. I thought about that this morning as I was reviewing, and I thought to myself, wow, that's the inspiration of the word of God. These are, there are some things that I don't even have to teach you, Paul says, because I know God has already put it in your heart by his spirit To love one another. And here's what I'm saying. At the heart of Trinity Baptist Church, what are we all about? We ought to be all about loving one another. Serving one another in love. You know, it could be Mr. Pagan. Scott Pagan. I I can serve him through praying for him. I can serve him by encouraging him. I can serve him by being faithful. I can serve him by being an example. I can serve him in so many different ways. Maybe by writing a note or by giving a gift. Or There's so many ways to serve him. But it has to be done in love. I want to be committed to that as a church. Growing, loving, serving. Above all things, Peter wrote, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity covereth the multitude of sins. So what's going on at your church? The signs aren't up yet. They'll be up next week. What should be going on here? What does God want to be going on here? Our goals for Trinity need to be the very same as God's. And I believe they can be summarized in a theme, growing in the word of God, loving God supremely, and serving one another. It's a privilege, I was reminded, to serve 
fellow believers. It's a privilege. And I want you to be committed to it with me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've taken time this morning to ponder and think about the new year coming and and just what Trinity Baptist Church is all about. What's at the heart of Trinity Baptist? Father, we'll look more into these, these thoughts in detail further on, but just this morning, Father, we, we've considered these three thoughts of, of growing in your word and loving you. That's not like the world today in which we live. It's not what we're prone to do. But, and then serving others, serving the body of Christ. Father, I pray for us as a church that this year would be a wonderful year of growth, spiritual growth, perhaps some numerical growth as well. Father, I pray, though, that all of us would strive for these things. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. The Lord bless you.